And now, here's this episode of the Elevating IT Podcast, sponsored by Audit. Today, I'm joined by Ann Janzer, who's an award-winning author and nonfiction writing coach, author of several books. Uh, the latest is with the latest, actually, I think you just released this, is Get the Word Out. Um, you also wrote a book that I read that I didn't realize I read. Well, I didn't realize you wrote it until I read your, your older book is called Subscription Marketing, which is really something we are, where audit is a subscription-based business, but managed service providers are a subscription-based business as well. Um, a lot of folks are. So that was a great book. And then one from 2018, which is what I'm what really prompted me to talk to you today is this book, which is right by my side. Hopefully everybody can see this writing to be understood. Um, and as I said, in the description of this episode, there's really nothing more important to telling to selling it services than to transform that kind of technical talk, the geek speak into easy to understand language. And Anne is an expert at helping people explain complex concepts in the simplest way possible. So, uh, in addition to publishing these books, Anne actually has a deep understanding of the technical field, having been a technical writer for a software uh, company, I believe. You were also in corporate marketing, social media, and then you shifted into writing and uh, into coaching others on writing as well. And did I miss anything? No, did that's a, that's anything? a good good sum up. <laughs> awesome. And I'm going to put your website up here now so that uh, folks have it. I'll put it back at the end. But this is where we want to direct you to go when when you're interested to to, to learn more about Anne. Um, so Anne, thank you for coming. And and I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't finish reading your book yet. <laughs> I usually don't do that, but I was really so excited about having your about your message. And and I had I had to book, buy the book right away. Uh, I found you from doing my never ending research on explaining complex technical info simply because that's what Audit does. Our company. Um, and there's something you talk about in this book, and I heard it on the video that made me go get this book that I saw of you that um, ended up making me run and get your book. Oh, <laughs> a little, really? and then, let me know what that is. <laughs> and I immediately booked you as a guest on my show before I even got the book. So it was it was this one thing that you that you taught in here and that you talked about that was like a major aha moment for me, and I think it's going to be profound for our audience to hear about as well. Uh, it's about a study that you reference, and we're going to get to that. I'm going to tease it up front, but I wanted to make sure people stay on because we're going to talk about it at the end. And, and that's probably going to be one of the bigger takeaways I think people are going to get. So we're going to end with that. But to kick things off, Ann, I know you have the brand new book called Get the Word Out, Write a Book That Makes a Difference. And that came out, I believe, middle of November. Yes. Um, of course, obviously, what, what compelled me to get here to, to book you is the book writing to be understood. Specifically, what I'm interested in is, is the research behind your book a bit, because you really dive into the why and how of effective communication. So I'm super interested to explore this with you, especially from a sales perspective. And, and you have a ton of experience with this, not just through writing, but you also we're in the technology. So I think you have such a really great vantage point here. You know, why is let's start with why do you think this is even important? 
Well, you know, so to, to dial back my, my background, as I spent a lot of time um, as a freelance marketing consultant, and I worked with over 100 different technology companies in the point of that, uh, in the course of that freelance career. And my job was usually to come in and, and take the, the, the geeky technology. And I would actually be the, the marketer running into the really geeky ones when everyone else was running out going, ha, ah, you know, I enjoyed that. I just love that, figuring out the puzzle. But then to, to try to distill what the business decision maker needed to know about that, right? You know, there's this huge chasm sometimes. Um, and it feels like, you know, there's a whole set of, a whole language that's used in the whiteboard, you know, when someone's whiteboarding something for you, there's that whole language. And then you have to go back and, and get the language of your reader and speak in that language and, and what are their concerns and try to make that connection. So this is, um, if you're in a tech services business, if you're in the software business, anything, you need to know how to do this. Um, even, you know, so, you know, the, the, the word jargon gets, has a bad rap, has a negative connotations. Really it's, you know, industry terminology and abstractions. And, you know, there are certain businesses that you're in that you, you can't even describe the business without using jargon. You know, we're a cloud services provider, you know, right? I mean, we have to have these right. words. So I'm not dissing the words. It's understanding when and how you need to use the words and the unintended consequences that can happen when you stop paying attention to the language that you're using and where who you're using it with. That's that's what really interests me um, is, is that, that what's going on in the listener's mind, in the reader's mind, what, how do things land? That's a really, really fascinating topic. And that's what I was trying to get at with the book, Writing to be Understood. It's like, it's not me about me, the writer, it's about my reader. What's, what's happening there? Really interesting stuff. And that's a great, that really segues into the, the question I was about to ask, which is, getting in the reader's head, right? Like it, it's definitely true in sales. You have to understand what problems your your customer has. And in some ways, it's easier to do that with a customer than a reader because you can talk to the customer. Obviously, you're doing a, uh, you know, our client, our users, MSPs are doing a technical assessment. So they're actually interviewing the author. Um, how do you recommend in the book and, and just in general to uncover those things that are going on in people's heads and and as a kind of part two to this a lot of times sometimes they don't tell you the truth yeah 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 so let's let's dig into both those things um one is how do you uncover you know the the, the real truth of it is it's really hard to get out of our own heads right there's something called the curse of knowledge which is that once you've learned something it's really hard to remember what it was like to not know that thing so if you're working in the tech industry if you're working you know, uh, deep in the IT infrastructure, you have invested a lot of time and a lot of effort into learning all those abstractions, all this this terminology, the layers on layers on layers of detail, um, and they become a second nature to you. So it's it's easy to forget uh, what other people, uh, how other people feel about them. Um, so really, mm, you know, the best thing is obviously to get in front of someone who is your ideal reader or your ideal listener and talk to them and, and ask them to be open. Um, but again, you know, for various reasons, people don't want to say, so what do you mean by DNS? You know, I mean, they may or may not, or even this cloud thing, you know what, <laughs> right? I mean, right. Um, it would be, they might feel embarrassed at this point to say, I don't really know. Um, 
and there's another point too, is that maybe you're using the terminology that is uh, people have encountered before and they can come up with it, right? It's like DNS, mm, okay, yeah, 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 okay. Do you see what happened there? I had to stop and process, right? If you're mm -hmm. using something that I know, but it's not super familiar to me, I'm going to have to go rummage around, say, yeah, 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 I remember what that is. So you're right, I'm spending some cognitive energy on that. I'm spending some of my prefrontal cortex uh, work uh, decoding what it is you're telling to me. Now, if you are a salesperson, you want people spending all of that work coding the, the content, the key thing you're trying to tell them. You don't want them wasting it on, uh, oh, what was that word he just said? I think I know what that is. Every time you're sending them off to do that, you're, you're taking their attention away from the thing you want to be putting it on, right? So there's this it's sense of a, it's called a cognitive burden, I think is one thing. It's this, this mm. extra baggage you're giving people um, by using, by not being really clear in the words that you're using, not use, using unfamiliar terms. Now, again, sometimes you have to, you know, if you're, if you're talking about something that's a very specific, you know, we need to talk about your firewall, that you got to talk about the firewall. So there's an art to using the term, but also providing a really friendly uh, synonym along with it or using it in such a context that it's really clear what it is you mean. Um, and I think that that is uh, something to work on as a speaker um, and as a writer, certainly as well, to work on how do I make sure that anything that's unfamiliar but necessary, I need to use it. How do I tee it up so that the listener feels, of course, smart. Oh, yeah. 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 I know what that is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I love the fact that you um, you mentioned the curse of knowledge. And I, I, saw, I saw that in the book as well. I think page 39. I'm going to say because I was just, just looking at it. Uh, <laughs> it. It's it's something we talk about a lot. We've been talking about this since we released audit a couple of years ago, four years ago now. Um, it really defines, and, and I've heard other experts who 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 talk about this to the topic of simplifying and why it's important to create presentations and write in a way that people can understand. Because of, and they they always bring the curse of knowledge comes into this, and we talk, you know, if if you're at that high end of the knowledge scale and your presentee is at the low end, you, you know, you better not talk to them like they're on the high end. So, people listening now probably have heard that, heard me and me and my partner, Frank DiBenedetto, uh, the, the founder of Audit, talk about it. But, you know, that's mom and dad talking about it, right? Like we're scolding them. So I, I'd love you to kind of talk you know, a little more about what the curse of knowledge is and how it works. And, and you know, how do you how do you force yourself not to do that? Not even I think people know sometimes they know they want they don't they know why they shouldn't talk that way they they're trying not to but even how do we even unpack like how do we tell if we are when we're trying not to because right. sometimes and people are trying and they and they still do it let, let's just say we all do it right it, it's a rare individual who just in, who doesn't um so uh, you know i try to build in processes to protect me from it right that this is how we do it we do it with process so if you're writing you're lucky because you have a chance to revise 
right? So I my theory about writing is write in any way that's gonna get the content out there and then use revision to fix it. So don't get caught up as you're trying to write your first draft of something. Don't, don't get too hung up on it. I mean, think about what your reader needs and where they're coming from. Of course, you're gonna write better, but write what you need to write and then go You know, pick a highlighter. It's like, okay, I'm gonna take yellow and everything that looks like an industry term of art or abstraction or an acronym, um, any of those, I'm just gonna highlight them and without judgment, just highlight them. And then I'm gonna look and say, is it necessary to use this? And if it is, is it, um, do I think it's gonna be familiar or unfamiliar to someone, right? And uh, use that as a guide to say, okay, well, maybe this one is not necessary. I can use a different word. This one is absolutely necessary. So I'm gonna make sure to define that acronym the first time. The second time I'm gonna use it, but make sure it's in the context or with a little sidebar so it's super clear what it is. And then by the third time, I'm gonna think maybe the, the reader's comfortable with it, right? I'm just gonna, you can do this in a way and it doesn't seem like dumbing down. Um, so so process, so that's my writing process. Uh, in terms of speaking, you know, I just, I have to rely on other people too to tell me, am I, what terms am I using? As a speaker, you can prepare if you're giving a presentation, of course, you get the chance to prepare, which is nice. So you can run it by someone to say, I want you to raise your hand every time I use a word that makes you think twice, you know, and you're offering value to me by doing that. So not that you don't know, but that you just have to stop and think twice about that's what I want to know. Um, I, so, you, you know, the thing to know is that here's the, here's the problem. When you're preparing that presentation, you might be sitting in, well, Okay, right now we're all sitting by ourselves, but when you're in an office, you're surrounded by your colleagues, right? And so this is the language you all use. This is your in-group language, is this terminology. This is how you communicate. It's efficient, it's effective. Um, so what happens often is we write things that we think our colleagues are gonna like, as opposed to the things that we think the readers, you know, we, we, we inadvertently write for the people who are around us or the people maybe who are even gonna approve the thing that we're writing. We inadvertently do that instead of thinking about the uh, customer. So it's really important to have a clear thought, a clear image of your reader, your customer, your, your person sitting in the presentation with you and present to them and not your colleagues, not your, you know, your boss, not not all those people, um, because you're going to need to use different language. And you've said it's not about the words. You know, let's talk about that a little bit. In the book, you said a piece of writing succeeds or fails, not on the page, but in the reader's head. Yeah. So to increase the impact of writing, focus beyond the words on the topic, on the minds of the readers. Right, right. I mean, I think we, we, we get caught up you know, in our words, it's like, oh, I'm going to, you know, whoop, look, I'm going to throw out all this stuff I know, I'm going to do that. But it, and, it, you know, it's like, I want to write something that, you know, writers do this, like, I want to write something that's really beautiful, that people are going to look and say, wow, what a wonderful writer she is. That's the wrong objective. That's not what I want people to do. I want people to do and say, wow, that writing has an impact, that idea really resonates with me. Then they'll come around to, what a wonderful writer she is. She had this idea that resonated, right? But but not by just because the way I've packaged it, the way I've put it up in words. That's not the, that's not our goal. That's not our goal. Um, uh, so it's 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 hard because in the tech industry, you you put a lot of time and effort 
into learning all these 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 terms. Um, so we're all heavily invested in them. They are almost part of our identity when we're in tech, as you know, talking the talk, right? Um, so it's hard. It takes confidence to put it aside and to put the needs of someone else ahead of you um, as you present and as you talk and as you write. Um, and so again, everything depends on the audience. But if you want to be effective, that's what you need to think about. Interesting. Um, you talk about the problem of technology experts describing the next big problem coming without sensing discomfort or confusion in their readers list in their readers or listeners. What is that? What did you mean by that? Well, you know, um, we get very caught up in what we're sharing and what we're talking about. Um, and it could be a tech person. It could be, a, I don't know, anybody who's, who's caught up and excited about it. Um, and we have to, uh, let's see, I don't know if I'm talking about the misinformation or, or actually discomfort. You know, maybe discomfort comes in like the um, artificial intelligence. Let's say I'm going to go on and talk to you about this incredible use of AI within whatever. And I'm not sensing that there's some pushback in the audience about I do not want the bots listening in on my, you know, I mean, whatever it may be, you know, we also have to pay attention to if people are just inherently uncomfortable with something that we're saying or talking about and bring that uh, to the fore as well. Um, you know, the often we're just so busy chasing down that exciting thing, that, that shiny topic we want to talk about. We're not paying attention to how things are landing with people. Right. Interesting. And you talk about in the book, using too much fear or not too much fear. Like, uh, you know, one of the things we want to do in a sales presentation is, is talk about the, the pain a little bit, right? And using, using too much data and fear can hurt us, I've heard you say as well. Like, so you can do that too much. Is that correct? Yeah. So, so there's, there's two things I want to get at. One is data and one is fear, which are, are sometimes the data is used to institute fear, but, but let's talk for a moment. Um, First of all, data uh, is is obviously essential, um, but when we lead with data, and especially for trying to change someone's mind, especially if someone's like, uh, my IT infrastructure is okay, I don't need to worry about it, and you start barraging me with data about breaches and, and things, right? Um, uh, that there's some possibility that's just going to make me shut down and, and dig in, right? That that. Um, it's a lot of cognitive overload, a lot of burden, and it institutes fear, right? Um, and so the thing about persuading people to do something is you have to understand um, that fundamentally fear is a, it's a powerful persuasion technique when you want people to do nothing. If you want them to not change something, lead with fear. It's like, don't upgrade that computer because the new OS is unstable. Okay, you know, fear is a really great, reason because we tend to freeze when we're fearful, right? Mm -hmm. If you want people to take action, fear makes them tighten up. So you're, you're kind of working against it. So if you want people to take action, you want to actually lead with something more positive. It's like, here's a scenario where you're comfortable. Here's a scenario where you've gotten outside of these risks. We can get you to this scenario where you don't have to worry about these things. You know, you want to lead with a positive vision because that's what's going to motivate us to move forward. Um, uh, so, and in that capacity, telling a story 
is often much more powerful than dumping a bunch of data on people because we remember stories and we don't remember numbers and statistics generally. So how do you how do you recommend people weave stories in uh, if they're not used to it? You know, I, I, I've had this question and, and some people are just not good at that. And, and I've had that question before where people go, well, how do I tell a story? You know, um, I've got only an hour to present this. How do I tell a story about every little thing that they don't understand? And do they right. have this long thing? And, you know. Yeah. Storytelling, you know, can re be super intimidating. And, you know, I don't think of myself inherently as a storyteller, but I've, I'm trying to kind of work on that skill. But I would say to that person, mm, don't forget the stories, you know, the, the hero's journey and all that. Mm, just just mm, put it aside. Spin out just a scenario, a moment in time that you've seen or that this person might experience. You know, so you I was working with this, this dentist office. They came in one morning and there was an email saying that none of their patients' records would be released until they paid a ransom. Oh, you know, so there's a ransom. You've just defined ransomware, you know, but you've done it from the perspective of the story. Their waiting room's filling up. They have no idea what to do. You know, you, you give them, you just paint a scenario. A scenario is, a, is like a little micro story. And I, I, I imagine that everyone should be comfortable being able to do something like that. You know, just take that, that uh, work, on, work on that little tiny, scenarios that that let the reader the listener reader whatever they are um just for a moment see what it's like to be in someone's shoes in this situation um now you can then back up stories with statistics you can say you know that scenario has happened to x number of businesses this year you know you could you could data is great for reinforcing stories but um but as storytelling doesn't have to be complicated it's just it's making a human connection that's not just about abstractions and numbers, but about feelings and uh, experiences. I like putting it into context, right? Like giving them some meaning behind what this thing means. It Here's what happened when somebody else yeah. had the same result. Yeah, but it also brings like a little emotional context. It actually brings, you know, if you tell that scenario right, I might have visualized something. It might bring visual context. So it, it is engaging actually more areas of my brain as I listen to you than just listening to a bunch of data, right? If you, if I can put myself in this situation, I've just visualized the dentist. I visualize what their workstation looks like when it says this. I can think of the emotion. My brain is firing up all over the places. I'm a much more engaged uh, person with your presentation now when I have that. So isn't that, you know, isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you want to make a stronger connection with someone? Right. So I want to talk now uh, at this point about my kind of aha moment, the big thing that I wanted to to keep till, till uh, I want to use as a bribe to keep people paying attention and keep people on the call here. But this was kind of my aha moment. I kind of knew this concept, but never had it explained this way. And, and I love, I love it when like I, you know, something I study like this a lot comes up with something new. Uh, there's a cognitive psychology reason why sounding too smart can actually hurt you from a sales perspective. And one big reason we will get pushback um, from some of our users, audit users, is they want to put more detail in audit then they then then we have the ability to put in and we keep audit very simple for a reason the focus is on the business 
on the other end of that presentation who is non-technical. The focus is on making them understand what the MSP is saying at all times. So some of some MSPs out there will think, well, you know, how am I supposed to show my expertise with such a simplistic report? You know, if I don't add all this stuff in here, how am I going to look smart? How am I, how are they going to think I'm an expert if I'm just, and, and with sales, you know, when you're going out, they, they always say, I think uh, the percentage is you should talk 80% or 70% of the time and listen, no, listen 80 to 70% of the time and talk only 30% of the time. And then on that side, they're thinking, well, you know, I should be doing the one, I should be talking, I should be telling them all about this technology. So I wanted to, to kind of talk about that study a bit. Yes. So this is my one of my very favorite research studies ever. Um, and I'm going to read you the name of it because I have to write it down because I don't remember it otherwise. It's called Consequences of Erudite Vernacular Utilized Irrespective of Necessity or Problems with Using Long Words Needlessly um, by Daniel Oppenheimer. who was at Princeton University at the time. Um, and what he did, and it, it's so, it's not specific to tech, but it so applies. It so applies. They did a bunch of different experiments to to make uh, things more complicated or less complicated. They took uh, applications to grad school, right? And so for some of the applications, they they swapped out some of the words and put in, you know, ten dollar words, right? You know, fancier words that you might think that you know grad schools be like, ooh, this this person's really smart. Look at the vocab they're using, right? Um, and then they had the people who, you know, read and assess those applications and applicants look at them. And uh, the ones who, the applicants who had the more complicated, fancified uh, uh, applications um, were not regarded as highly as those who wrote simpler applications. And this is for an English literature uh, grad program, right? So the recipients actually thought they were not quite as bright, like they're trying a little too hard. Um, they did a bunch of other things. One of the things they did is a couple different translations of uh, uh, Rene Descartes' meditations. And one of the translations is more complicated. And again, the people who were asked to say, oh, how bright do you think this philosopher is and how smart? The more complicated trans translation, they they did not think that they, that the author was smarter. They thought, you know, not as smart, and that was true even when they were told that it was a translation of Rene Descartes, one of his most famous works, Meditations. Amazing. They still like, yeah, I don't think Descartes was that hot stuff. If they couldn't understand it, they don't feel stupid. They think you're not so smart, which is this wonderful twist. I don't know if you've heard the. Uh, acronym, keep it simple, stupid, right? Yeah. -S -S, right. Here's the twist on this. It's keep it simple or they're going to think you're stupid. And that was such a new way to look at it. It blew me away when I saw it. I was like, because I know, you, you know, my background, I, I first started down this line and, and, you know, you kind of look back at your, I look back at my career and I go, where did I start? Why did I have an interest in this? Because I was drawn to audit as a company, I was friends with the founder of it. And when I saw it, I was like, wow, that's amazing. This, I wish I had this for my industry. I got it. And, and I started to put the pieces together where I first got interested in this. I taught martial arts for, for when I was in college, I started teaching martial arts to kids, six years old, because nobody wants to teach the young kids because it's the hardest to teach the young kids. 
you know, if I, I would go, hey, everybody, raise raise your left hand up. And I would put my left hand up and they would, they would put their right hand up because they're mirroring me. Like I had to learn. So through trying to figure out and pull my, that's why I don't have any hairs teaching kids martial arts. So I learned, I started teaching myself how to explain things simply and how to explain things so kids understood it. And I got really good at it. And, and that has, has been with me for a, a long, long time. But I never heard it put this way. Like, I, I really never heard it put this way. I used to, th I, I know why when, when somebody is explaining something to me and it's confusing, I tune them out. Mm. Right. And, and I usually, and you said this before, I won't stop and ask them a question if I think that I should have known the, or if I feel like I think I should have known the answer. Right. And I know that your for MSPs, your prospect is sitting over on the other side of the table thinking the same thing because I am the non-technical guy hearing you explain this and, and I'm processing in my head, am I stupid or is he stupid? Am I stupid? <laughs> Maybe I'm stupid. And if I think that, I'm not going to ask him the question. But on the other side of it, if if I think he's stupid, I'm going to also tune him out because now I don't want to, I'm not going to hire him. So. Right. Yep. Yeah. Again, it comes back to that cognitive burden for one thing. You know, it's how much work do you want to do trying to figure out what this what this guy is saying? Um, and then there was another study, which someone just sent me today. And I'm just going to share with you just the highlight of it. This is from the Columbia Business School, which said that people who are of a lower status. This is the, the, the takeaway from the study. Lower status people use more jargon. Right. So they call it compensatory conspicuous communications. <laughs> right? So, so there's this thing, if you're just popping out all the jargon, right, left and center, it might be because you're feeling less secure about it and you want to beef up your, your cred, your street cred, your tech right. cred by using the language, which is, a, you know, again, this is because language is sort of a way that we signal in group membership, right? I know the words, I can hang out with these tech people because I can talk like them. Dropping the words. I once did that, by the way, and it got me not that it did not get me the job. I don't know how that happened. So <laughs> if, if, if you're finding that you struggle with this, here's another way to frame this if you're thinking about it. If you're thinking, well, you know, the people in my presentation, they should know or something. Um, think about it like this. Let's say you're giving a presentation. Yeah, you're giving it to some a client's tech team and, and you don't want to insult them, but just assume that one person on that team, it's their second month on the job and you want to be like a mentor to them. So they're going to come out of this meeting feeling more confident and smarter, right? So if you try to think about it that way, how would I explain this to someone who of course should know, but I'm just going to make sure that they queue it up so they feel really smart and confident and comfortable. Well, if you make all of your prospects feel smart, comfortable, and confident, I think you're going to probably have a pretty good sales record, right? I mean, I think that would be a good a good approach to use, right? So something to think about if that helps. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. So, you know, what I'm hearing is, is that we've always, I've always known, you know, we read about this, and, and this is probably something that people have heard that the more you listen, the smarter people think you are, right? This is Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's something like most people who've sold anything read at least once. And this, it is really true. I've tested it in years. And, you know, as soon as I learned it, I started using it. And, man, it works like crazy. People, if you just listen to them and you don't talk, they, they, they think you're smarter. And the reason is, is because 
people want to be heard and they feel loved and they and they feel respected by you. So they're going to assign intelligence to you based on the fact that you've listened to. And the same effect, I think, it sounds like the same cognitive or psychological effect is happening on people when you, when they understand what you've taught them. Like when you when you're going through either a sales presentation or they they follow you, they respect you more, they like you more, they they transfer that onto you. Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. You know, if you can help somebody feel and really be a little bit smarter, more confident, comfortable, um, they're going to feel better about themselves and they will certainly feel better about you. And when you're just dumping them with technology terms, it, it's kind of like slamming the door in them, you know, or, or giving them a little, you know, hands off. Um, and that's, you know, you don't want to be hands off to your prospects, right? That's not going to be the basis of a good long-term customer relationship. You want to be, <laughs> you want to be connected. Right. Okay. So for audit users listening to this, I'm going to tell, I'm pointing right at Ann and I'm going to put up her website again. Hang on a second. AnnJanzer.com. So Ann told you guys, you have to be, you have to, you have to be simple with what you, you have to, you have to be worry about being understood. And it's scientifically proven that you have to do that. Now, I'm going to kind of ask you a question. This one's one of the things this is for me, right? This question's for me. Okay. But I, I think this is going to help our users as well. We just threw a, a little data at our audience, right? My audience, right? They, we gave them a study and the results to demonstrate that their belief that they need to present a lot more of their own technical info in order to sell them as an expert is not going to have the result that they want, right? But you say in the book, they could be now kind of sitting there across from us, you know, arms crossed, dug in, not buying it. <laughs> Why is that? And how do I better, how do I better get this point across to MSPs? Because I think it's really one of the most important things that they, they need to remove that geek speak. I know it's like, it's like getting kids to eat broccoli, right? I know it's good for you. I know you hate it. How do I get them to have the same aha moment that I just had with, without getting them to kind of dig their heels in? And talk okay. about the phenomenon of digging, digging in. Okay. Well, let me just ask first. Okay. So pick a, a topic that you're interested in, but it's outside of your domain, science or something, right? Or, or you know, something in science. Uh, 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 so I read a lot of cognitive science. And so go grab a cognitive science textbook and then grab a book by, say, Dan Ariely right? Who writes about decisions. And, but he writes in such an engaging storytelling way. Read them both and tell me which one you feel smarter at the end of reading. Of course, which one do you want to engage with? Which one do you, you know, just, just flip it around from yourself in another perspective where you're, you're maybe not as familiar with the domain um, and, and think about what, what it is you want from a speaker or a reader. I mean, there's a reason why TED Talks are so popular, right? They don't get up there and give a lecture that, you know, they, they make everything approachable. Um, so, so the best way to, to look at it is just to, to put yourself in that position, but, but choose some other industry that you're not an expert in. Um, would you rather go to a doctor who sits down to give you a serious diagnosis and speaks entirely in Latin terms, you know, or one who tells you, look, here's what this is going to mean for you. Here's some of the resources. I'll answer all your questions. I'll give you all the Latin terms if you want them, but here's what we're, what we're at. You know, this is, 
This is what we all crave in our own lives. And so you have to believe that is true of the people you're trying to reach. Yeah. And I think it all goes back to what you talked about in the beginning is empathy, right? Like that. And and I've heard you, you I don't know if you said it here now in the book, I'm, I'm losing track, but cognitive empathy, I think, or, right. you know, really understanding that, because I think that's a problem, right? We think we, the other person on the other side of the table, sometimes when we're talking, we think of them as ourselves. Like, what would I want to hear? And, and it's, it's, I think it's easier for me as a non-technical person sometimes to, to preach this because I know that that's what I want to hear if I'm on the other side of the table with a technical person. I want to hear it simple, straightforward, just get to the point. But a technical person kind of likes talking about yeah. that. So how do we force them to, to get in the other person's head? Yeah. Um, yeah, force them. <laughs> We're not going to force anyone to do anything. Yeah, I, guess um, but, yeah. I was <laughs> so hoping you would give me the secret to force them. Secret, secret. I know um, it's good for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think for that, for that person who's really feeling pushed back at it, I think um, I would just try to say, you know, look at the person across the, the, the table from you, someone who's in your field, but you're going to have to mentor that you're mentoring and you want them to succeed. Um, that's one way to, to, to get around that idea that, you know, um, you know, I have to, I have to live in the technology. Yeah, you do, but everybody starts somewhere, right? Um, everyone starts somewhere. And if you can try to be uh, approachable like that, um, you know, if you, I'm not asking you to give up your, ter your terminology. I, you know, you're going to be very comfortable with it. You can answer follow-up questions, but you just need to meet it out when and where people need it, right? That's the, that's the key. And that, that, my friend, is the mark of a true expert, someone who can go back and forth between the domains, who can look at it from a different person's angle. Here's what they know. Here's what they need to know. That is real expertise. And when you demonstrate that, people are going to think, dang, they're good. Dang, they're good. They know what they're talking about. Awesome. Okay. Last question or second to last question, maybe, maybe last question. I'm loving, I'm really enjoying this conversation with you. Uh, this is, you know, I, I, I study this stuff so much and I'm always looking for um, content on this and that's how I found you. So you, you reference a bunch of books in the bibliography. I was looking through them. That was the first place I flipped to. I love seeing where, what you're reading. Um, a lot of them look like I need to read them. But <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> well, what would you say? So what would you say are the top three that, that recommendations on this kind of topic that, that we should go get? And, and especially since there may be new ones that you've read recently since this book was published a couple of years ago now, based yeah. on knowing that we're looking to get MSPs to speak in language their clients understand, what would you suggest we all read now? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question. I'm reading so much all the time. Um, that I'm not gonna look and see what it is I recommended because yeah, uh, I'll tell you. Sure. Well, I'll, 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 you know, you wrote this book a few years ago, but I just read yeah. it. Yeah. Today, yeah. so I, <laughs> I know it's easier for me to like. I love the um, the first one was a book by Alan Alda. If I understand you, would I have this look on my face? Yeah, I know. Like I, I love could, that. It's about science communication, but it's just it's hilarious and brilliant. And you know, because again, he's someone who wanted to. Uh, he talked to scientists and then communicate it to the real world. Um, and he has this whole research institute on, on how to do that more effectively now through uh, uh, SUNY, uh, Stony Brook, Stony Brook University. Yeah. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. Um, so that's a that's a fun uh, that's a fun book about about science and medicine um, uh, and and communication in there. Um, I think you know there's so many books about communication, uh, uh, cognitive science stuff. I just I just love you know all of the the irrationality of our brains and and how we work. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I'm going to have to sit and think for a moment about books. So just, yeah, that's okay. I, I'm putting you on the spot with it because I know that um, I've got the answers in front of me. I guess uh, really the answer is I'll tell people is they should just go get this book. Well, there you go. And then they should go to the bibliography and get a bunch of the other books. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's start with that. I'll, I'll let you. I'm going to let you off the hook with that. Okay. To go get that. So uh, here, here's the one question I, I told you. I was this is my last question. Is is do you have? Uh, I love to get other guests on that are like uh, folks that I'm having on. So who who would you recommend that we have on the, the show to talk about stuff like this? Oh, so um, here's one one person that might be wonderful is uh, Purnima Vijayashankar, who um, together oh, sure. with my friend Karen Catlin wrote the book Present uh, a Guide for public speaking guide for techies. And I mangled the subtitle, but that's the, the gist of it. Oh. If you're a techie and you want to do public speaking, this is your guide. And so I think that that's a, a beautiful fit for uh, your oh, yeah. audience. And she's, right? the, she's the person who I found you through. Yes. So I found you by watching a video, the interview that she did with you. It was like a 25 minute video. And I was like, and you mentioned that study. I was like, I ran to get the book and I ran uh -huh. on the on the show. Yep. Yep. Oh, so she would be wonderful. You know, she's all about stepping up and, and, and speaking, but speaking effectively to others. Um, you know, there's just so many, there's so many, uh, good writing books. Uh, that's, that's the thing that I, you know, it was kind of drawing a blank. It's like, I can't even begin to tell you everybody writes by Anne Hanley is a wonderful writing book from more of a marketing perspective, but you know, definitely worth, uh, worth visiting as well. But yeah, no, I think that, that present that, that book I found very useful myself uh, in presentation, public speaking. Awesome. So I'm going to remind people that they're listening to the Elevating IT podcast and you can get to all the episodes at auditforit.com slash elevating IT or find us on iTunes and make sure I'm going to put Ann's uh, info up here again. And Ann, this has been fantastic. Um, I popped up your website again, but I want to thank you and give you uh, the last word to tell our audience anything that you would like about what you're doing and what you got coming up. Um, well, I just, what I've been focused on is lately is just my latest book, uh, get the word out, write a book that makes a difference. So if you're interested in writing a book, that's a, a good one to check out. Um, other than that, you know, just if you want to send me a question about anything we talked about, my email is just Anne at annechancer.com there. And I would be delighted to uh, answer any questions or talk with you about how to make the, fit this into your process so that it becomes part of your regular communication style. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here, Ann. Um, I'm going to end the broadcast now. I'm going to ask you one more question. I'll let people listen in while I ask you, because I have a personal question for myself. Okay. I want to ask. So I'm going to keep this going for one second. Last bonus question for me, because I write a ton. You know, I Personally, I'm, I'm going to get your new book because I, I have I've got a book that I published to Amazon years ago, self-published. I love writing. Um, I write blog posts and articles for the company audit. So <laughs> what do you recommend for a writing tool 
to, to, for ideas and then producing your, your disorganized, uh, for, or, uh, for producing, yeah. I'm sorry, a writing tool to, to kind of get those notes out and then also a, a tool for producing. Maybe they're one in the same. Like I use Evernote when I jot down my ideas yeah. for a walk, yeah. I'll use Evernote. And then, uh, three weeks later, I'm like, oh, I wish I could remember what I wrote in Evernote. And I've got like hundreds and hundreds of stuff. So like for the person who like me, who's totally disorganized, disconnected, do you, do you have tools that you recommend that are better than yeah. using Evernote? Right. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of people love Evernote. Um, I've been using just a lot of, uh, you know, Google docs to capture, you know, collections of ideas. Um, uh, I still do a lot of writing in, in Word or Google Docs or something. Um, when it comes to something big like a book, I, I, my last book, I finally, I had all of this research and all of these interviews and it was like, now I have too much stuff and I can't quite organize it. And that's so I finally uh, used Scrivener, which was delightful. I really, yeah. I really did that. Um, I don't, I think it's overkill for a blogging. Um, I don't know, maybe not. I don't know. I haven't tried it for that. I just use it. It's really a heavier duty do a book kind of thing, but yeah, it's a wonderful tool. Yeah. I, my big problem is probably just organizing it, you know, and, and tag, like Evernote's a weird thing. You can tag things. And I literally write, I will start probably five or six ideas a day mm -hmm. for articles or for social media posts. And, and I write them out. Like sometimes it's just a note. Sometimes I write a few paragraphs and I have fully intention, like, wow, this is my next blog post. And then literally a month later, I'll find it. And, and, you know, I'm publishing things, so I'm doing yeah. things. Or then I'll find something that I published, but I didn't mark it as published. I'm like, I wish I had some kind of way to. Oops. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I know. It's it's hard. And, and then the other thing about this is that sometimes, you know, it. first of all, it's great that you're generating all those ideas. And that itself is an end because you're 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 continuing to feed that furnace of, of writing and ideas. So um, some, I start plenty of things that then I look at and I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not, you know, maybe something will come back later. I put, I have, you know, collections of things that need a new home or things that might go into a book about this that I just kind of file away somewhere. Um, uh, the idea of, of worrying about capturing and saving everything, you know, some things are just meant to be something you work through <laughs> before you end up where you're really finally going. Right. Um, so uh, don't worry about clinging to and saving everything. Keep the ideas generating um, but so, you know, it's, mm, I, I think you said it, yeah. I probably just need to get better at filing. Like, I, yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> sorry. You know, like how, and in Evernote that lets you tag things and put things in folders. And I just have to, my filing, my experience with filing is that I'll put things in drawers and then I forget they're there. So I've got to, and then maybe going back and looking at the files every now and then. So yeah. yeah sorry. I don't have a perfect answer for you. No, you know what? I probably need to be talking to somebody who, who is like written a book on, on organization. <laughs> right. That's what That's, you mean. That sounds like my problem. Well, thank you, Anne. This was awesome. Uh, yeah, thanks so much. Get on with your day. And thanks for all of you listening live. And, uh, have a great week.